check and we love a check. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of your frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too. Collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory natters. You know what? Hi everyone, it's Jenny here and today I am chatting to Shelley Francis. Hi Shelley, how are you? Hi Jenny, I'm doing great, thank Good. you. Good. Well, Shelley's got a very interesting background, uh, but the most exciting thing recently is she has just published a book and the book will be incredibly relevant to our audience. So it came out in November 18 and the title of the book is called No Child Left Unwrapped understanding and honoring the gifts every child is born with um, so we're going to talk a, a good chunk about the book as well because I think even the title itself is fascinating the wording used in it is I've, I've got questions around that um, but we're also going to kind of delve into Shelley's past and how she's ended up becoming an author from being an audiologist originally and, and that journey um, but before we get into that I'm fascinated by the fact you're in Florida right? Yes, yes, I live in Florida. And you have a fan going. Does that mean it's hot right now? <laughs> well, we're actually pretty cool today. I'm not sure if it got up into the 70s or not, but it's been down in the 60s. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool for this, this time. <laughs> okay, well, I'm jealous because I'm, I'm, I'm in Scotland and it is certainly not fan weather. A fan inside the house would not help things. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so let's um, go back to the beginning, I suppose. So you, you originally, you've got a degree in speech pathology and special education. You did a master's in audiology and then you practiced as an audiologist for over 25 years. So how did that lead you to then having an interest in the area that you've, you've fallen into now? Yes, well, um, as an audiologist, I very quickly, um, I opened my practice in 1989, and very shortly after that, um, I decided to really uh, specialize in something called central auditory processing disorder. And the reason why I decided to do that was because, uh, well, for one, I was seeing uh, parents were starting to bring children in uh, to me uh, because they had concerns about their children's hearing. Yet when we would test them, their hearing would be fine. Their hearing would be normal. And also around the same time, uh, my brother, who was 29 at the time, started having some, uh, some a lot of difficulty with uh, depression and um, you know some real emotional concerns. And he had grown up with a lot of learning challenges that were never diagnosed. So I started putting you know two and two together and started realizing that um, my brother had. Um, difficulties processing information, specifically processing auditory information. So at the time, auditory processing wasn't something that people talked about or knew too much about. I didn't learn about it in school or, or anything like that. But it was just like this inner sense, this inner knowing that this was something important that needed to be addressed. And as I did search and look for um, information, um, I was able to find information, albeit you know, hard to find, but there was some information, certainly a lot more today um, than that than before. But in any case, I really started um, specializing in auditory processing, uh, mainly because I wanted to help children not have to suffer and go through the challenges my brother faced growing up. And that was my original motivation. Yeah. So how, how does that, what does that look like then? Because if you're saying you, you, you conduct a test and the test comes back perfectly fine, how do you then know it's still auditory? Yeah, so the hearing test came back fine. But what auditory processing is, is that's, that's what the brain does with the sound after the ear hears it. So processing uh, needed to be tested. And at the time, there were very few auditory processing tests available. However, there were a couple. And so I started incorporating those tests in my practice. And sure enough, um, we were finding significant delays with many of these children. And even my brother, who uh, we ended up testing and found that he was processing auditory information um, age equivalent of a seven-year-old at the time when he was 29 years old. So, um, so at that point, too, I started doing some therapies and listening exercises and, and really you know, trying to help children um, with these, these challenges. Wow. Okay. So what, what, what sort of tests are done to 
I, I can't, I can't, I have no knowledge of this, so I can't kind of compute in my head how you measure processing. Yeah, so original, so first of all, when in a regular hearing test, you're going to do uh, a, what we call a pure tone hearing test. So you have a, an individual raise their hand when they hear the tones, the beeps. Um, that's pretty typical. The screening tests are usually done uh, on kids in school for that. Uh, then aside from that, we usually do a discrimination evaluation or a discrimination test where we say a series of words and they repeat the words back. And these words are uh, given to them under headphones. It's nice and clear. There's no background noise or anything. And most of the time, the ability to repeat these words back is 90 to 100% correct. Yeah. But then if you then do a test where you add a little bit background noise and all of a sudden the ability to hear clearly drops significantly or you um, add uh, some distinctions, we filters and there's certain tests where, um, where the words are filtered and then also the discrimination ability drops significantly then that can uh, give you information about how the processing mm. is, how they're able to process compared to normative data. Got, yeah, that makes total sense. So that discovery with your brother, how, how did that, and, and other children that you worked with in that field, how did you that then get used to help them? How do you use that information for their benefit? Well, one is understanding it. Get it, you know, understanding what auditory processing is. And I found that to be one of the biggest things. In fact, that's what helped my brother the most mm. was the fact that he, that he had an answer yeah. for something. You know, all of his life he felt smart and stupid at the same time. Um, what was happening was, was that inside of him, he knew he was smart. He knew he had beautiful gifts. But everything he was getting from the outside all the experiences, all the information he was getting from teachers, from his parents, from you know outside circumstances, was giving him the message that he was not smart. So this caused this inner conflict mm -hmm. that really has stayed with him throughout his lifetime. Yeah, and that I guess goes on to affect um, self-esteem and you yeah. know your mental health, etc. As well, if you if you don't feel like you know you're, you're meeting your needs I suppose and people you're not understood perhaps or you're missing something but it's through no fault of your own it's just the way you're built yeah 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 okay. that's, and it's not understood yeah absolutely okay so how did how did you then move from doing audiology to what you now do well one of the things that I noticed was that these children that had auditory processing difficulties, not only had auditory processing difficulties, but usually had other sensory issues as well. So that was something very important to take into consideration and also started to shine a light on, you know, possibly what was going on here. Mm -hmm. And then over time, uh, I started seeing this trend where more and more children were coming in and parents were reporting to me about um, how sensitive they were in other ways, not just with their physical senses, but with their emotions. Mm -hmm. And not only with their emotions, but their ability to, in, in some cases, seem to be feeling the emotions of others. So they would become very sad when mom was sad, even when mom was trying to hide the fact that she was sad. Mm -hmm. And parents would tell me, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not giving any uh, outside look at my sadness, but yet they know I'm sad. Mm -hmm. You know, children, I remember mom's telling me, you know, a, a two year old just saying, mommy sad, mommy sad, you know, mm -hmm. on their cheek, when she didn't feel like she was showing that she was sad, she was trying to hold it inside. Um, so these are stories that I was hearing more and more. And then I was also hearing stories about children, you know, children that are 10, 11, and then in their teens that were really challenged with anxieties and having more and more diagnoses of anxiety disorders. And I started seeing this happening more and more. And what I started to realize is that we have more than just our physical senses. I 
truly believe we come into this world with these beautiful inner senses. The inner senses are um, our sense of intuition, our sense of, of even instinctual behavior. Mm. You know, something is telling a baby when to be born. Mm-hmm. Something is telling a baby when to push on the floor and roll over. Yeah. Something, something is there that's, that's guiding this. Um, just like it guides, you know, animals and um, our ecosystem in nature. There, there's the forces behind what's guiding this. But what happens is as we come in to this physical world, our physical senses start to connect. And the inner senses, in most cases, start to get quiet. They start to slow down or go to sleep. But what, what, I, what came to me was what if... Because so many more children today seem to be having diagnoses of developmental delays. Yes. I've just heard that from parents, from professionals, teachers. I mean, we, we just see it. Yeah. And so what if these children are coming in with these heightened inner senses, mm-hmm. which then are causing our physical senses to have a harder time to connect and develop? Mm. This would then look as if there's a developmental delay. Yeah. Now, in some cases, certainly there are significant delays, and that's, you know, a, a different a different story. But I'm really, you know, there's so many other kids that just have these slight delays, but they're just so beautiful inside. They have these beautiful hearts, these beautiful sensitivities. But what's happening is we're putting them into these old paradigms mm-hmm. that don't fit them. Yeah. So do you think there's um, that there are more people, um, children, being diagnosed with varying things? Do you feel there's possibly a lot of misdiagnosis going on because people just reach for anxiety or other things as, because that's the thing that's more known and it must be mm. really hard because a lot of the, the stuff crosses over to know yeah. what the right thing is? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if there's misdiagnosis diagnosis going on, but... You know, we what, what we do is we there's um, we look at behaviors hmm. and then we analyze whether those behaviors and it behaviors, it could be development, it could be, you know, how they behave on a test. You know, hmm. that's what I mean by de- by behaviors. Then we look at those different behaviors, those test scores, and then we compare it to normative data. Mm-hmm. And if it falls outside the, the normal range of hmm. what we know as the normal range, then we want to place a label on it. Yeah. And the reason why we want to place a label on it, because now we want to fix that problem. So what I propose is that, you know, it's not so much um, that we might be misdiagnosing, but let's look more at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Because again, we're diagnosing based on these behaviors, based on these test scores, but what if there's more beyond what we're measuring, mm-hmm. beyond what we're looking at? And that's what I'm really hoping to yeah. uh, get people to see, you know, that, that there's just more beyond what we're looking at. So could it be, this is a bit left field and, um, yeah, probably a bit out there, but it, it's just going through my head while I'm talking to you. Could it be that these people that have, have more inner sensitivity are actually the next evolution of beings? And mm-hmm. therefore, um, it's it's actually an emotional intelligence, a higher intelligence in some ways. And that's Darwinism. That's how we're adapting. That's how we're moving forward and changing as the human race. And, and we've just not caught up with that yet. I I absolutely believe what you're saying, yes. Do you? Okay, that's interesting. Oh, yes. I, 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 I read about it in my book that, that what if this is the evolution of humanity? Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. It's yeah. a beautiful gift. But like I said before, we're placing these children in situations and environments that are not conducive to their beautiful way of seeing the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So t- tell me about the no child left unwrapped. You, might, you mm. must have thought for a long time about the, type, the words to use in the title of your book. And that's so that bit. What, what are you thinking at that? Oh, um interesting you should ask that that actually just came to me right um when i started writing the book uh it was a few years ago um i actually was in a meditation and i kept seeing this visualization of a tornado 
and a, and a powerful storm and the importance of being uh, in the eye of the storm. Mm-hmm. And I came out of the meditation and for some reason I felt like I needed to write a book, which was very strange because I didn't like writing at all and never ever thought that I would ever write a book. But at the time I thought, well, maybe I'm writing an ebook. And I just, I got to my iPad as soon as I could and I started writing what I thought was going to be a book called The Perfect Storm. And it was to try to help parents understand what was going on um, with uh, with their children and developmental delays. And I wrote it for for hmm, probably about two months or so. I was writing on the weekends while I was still in my practice. And um, then s- something happened. I had to put put the uh, the book aside for a while, and it actually sat on a shelf for a couple of years. And I'll get to that in a second. But during that time, someone had said to me, you know, that they just felt like the perfect storm wasn't the name of the book, that they Mm -hmm. thought that that was probably the name of a chapter. It ended up being the name of my introduction. But um, so at first I was like, hmm, that's interesting, because I really thought I had a little bit of an attachment to it, but I was trying not to be attached to that name. And so I kind of just kind of thought about it and... um, I was reading something um, from Wayne Dyer. He had already passed uh, passed away. I don't know if you know who he is, um, but a newsletter had came through through from Hay House where he um, they were still publishing his newsletters. So I was reading it, and you know he wrote a lot about children and his love for children. And I was reading that, and then after that, I closed my eyes and I just said, you know, what is the name of my book? And I wrote down, I remember three things. And the third thing I wrote down was no child left unwrapped. And again, I'm not sure how it came, but um, I just, he was writing about how children are gifts. And so I had that thought in my mind and it just came no child left unwrapped. And when I wrote it and I realized, oh my goodness, that sounds like no child left behind, Mm -hmm. which was some legislation here that was really, not a good thing for so many children. So um, No Child Left Unwrapped just seemed like the natural thing. That's what I wanted to to show, that these chill, every child is born with these beautiful gifts. And it's not our job to mold them. It's just our job to let them unfold. Yeah. And so on that, you, you've obviously worked with a lot of people over your career. What What gifts have you seen? So these gifts that I talk about are really the gifts of the heart and the gifts to um, to really see things in a different way and to be um, empathetic, um, to be compassionate, um, to be there for people on a heart level. Um, there are also other ways, there are other types of intelligence um, that I talk about that, um, you know, we look at intelligence as being something that's programmed into our mind um, in school. Mm-hmm. But there's another type of intelligence, which is inner intelligence. And that's the, that's the inner knowing and the inner ability to problem solve, mm-hmm. the ability to see things multidimensional not in such a linear fashion, mm-hmm. um, but in a in a multidimensional fashion. And this kind of hard to understand, but I, I use an example, um, something that, you know, has happened a lot is that, um, which I, wh- that I had heard from parents is where the child, let's use math, for example, where with the math and the education system, the teacher wants the child to show all their steps on how they got the answer to the problem. Mm -hmm. And I remember parents coming in and saying, you know, that their child was so frustrated because they were able to get the answer, but they didn't know how to do all the steps. Therefore, their answer didn't count. Mm -hmm. And how awful is that? I mean, first of all, what a beautiful gift Mm -hmm. where, I mean, let's recognize that. How how does a child how is a child able to do that? Something is there that's allowing that child to go beyond what we've known as being these um, these different steps. Mm-hmm. However, they're still getting the answer. So 
let's not only give them credit for that, but let's let's honor that as a beautiful gift. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in terms of the the person that if you were kind of describe a situation or a family or or a person that might be picking up your book and reading the back of it, who should be reading it? Where are they in their life? What's going through their head that would make them think this is the book for me and this is going to help? Well, um yeah, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, I had a, a parent who had read it, also an um, educator. And when she was reading it, um, she'd only read the first few pages. And she said that this book was making so much sense, both in her parenting, understanding her child that had developmental delays, and in her professional uh, work as a teacher of children with um, learning disabilities and that she couldn't wait to, to read more about it, that it was just making sense. So that's one thing is um, I want this to help people make sense out of what they feel like now is there is such a challenge, yeah. but to see beyond the challenge and to see the beauty. Also for professionals, um, this this one person, um's parent and a professional, but for professionals in, in to also see past their, the children that they're working with to see what their beautiful gifts are and, and to maybe start looking at them differently and honor what they are able to do because mm -hmm. it's so important that a child feel good about themselves. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the things that, that made me not want to be in my practice anymore was that parents were bringing their children to me because they wanted me to fix them, but I didn't think they were broken and didn't need to be fixed. Now, I felt like they needed to be helped, but helped in a different way, which is what I wanted you know, to do. Yeah. And then I wanna give one other example because this woman, um, I just recently heard back from her and I had met her while I was uh, traveling and she, she had a, a son who was in his 40s, is in his 40s. And she was um, communicating to me that she had a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and really a lot of guilt. She felt like there was that she did something wrong. Her son, an adult man with, um, you know, learning disabilities and maybe on the spectrum. And she just felt like somehow it was her fault. And so she's lived all these years uh, with guilt. Mm -hmm. And I gifted her with my book just happened to have one on me and I gave it to her and I just heard back from her a few days ago and she said she wished she had this book 49 years ago because it would have saved her a lot of pain wow. and a lot of guilt, understanding more about her son and her son's gifts and her own um, gifts as well because that's one of the things I've heard too, people that don't have children, that don't work with children are mm -hmm. understanding themselves and their families better by reading the book. So. So those are just some examples of what I've heard. Yeah, makes a lot makes a lot of sense. Do do you a lot of the people you see do they tend to have profound global delays or is it borderline? Or is it a real I, mix? It's a real mix. Yeah. Okay. It's a real mix, yeah. Because I think I'm just listening to you and I'm thinking about my own daughter who doesn't have a diagnosis of anything um as of yet, but I do think we're probably headed towards something, although I don't know what that is. Um I would describe her as highly sensitive. Um, she's she's 10, she's beautiful, she's like so emotionally intelligent, like emotion is her thing. She, exactly what you were saying earlier, she feels everything from everyone. Um, mm -hmm. And that actually causes her a lot of pain because of it, because she feels so deeply. Um, and, and from my point of view as a parent, I don't, I recognize that as a talent and a gift, but I also don't want it for her because it causes her pain, if that makes any sense. It makes so much sense. Um, let me tell you this, the, you know, I told you when I started my practice that I really, you know, sort of focusing on children with learning challenges and uh, developmental delays because of the challenges my brother had. Yeah. And when I went, while I went through the process of writing the book, which I basically wrote about 85, 90% of that book um, this past year, um, I realized that I was writing the book about myself. So even though my practice for so many years was about helping children like my brother, yeah. I started understanding more about myself 
and the fact that I'm highly sensitive emotionally. I didn't have learning challenges in school, but I had emotional challenges. And I was bullied. Um, it was hard. You know, I, I had a hard time keeping my emotions in. I cried all the time and was made fun of, made fun of because of it. And one of the reasons why I you know, really started realizing with this book is that I really honestly feel that so many of our beautiful children today are being born extra sensitive. And in some cases, they're, they're, it, it's causing um, delays, learning, developmental delays, but in other cases, it's not. It's, a, it's an emotional challenge. And as I was growing up, it was something I wanted to hide. It was something I wanted to not let people see. I mean, mm -hmm. to try to, um, even as an adult, I, mean, I still find myself sometimes where I get so emotional over silly little things mm -hmm. that it, I get embarrassed by it. And so as a child, it was a curse mm -hmm. that I thought I needed to hide. But what happened is when I started working with children with autism, I didn't know anything about autism. Mm -hmm. I didn't learn about it in school. As I said, auditory processing wasn't taught in school. But I started seeing all these children with autism and severe autism. Mm. And parents would come to me and say, how do you know more about my child in 45 minutes than other professionals do that have been working with them for years? Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't understand why they were asking me that question, because I was just telling them things that seemed like common sense to me. Yeah. And now looking back, I realized that my sensitivity that I thought I had to hide, that I thought was a curse growing up, is my superpower as yeah. an adult. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons really why I, I wanted to write this book. Um, I didn't want it to get pigeonholed as a book for, you know, about children with um, developmental delays, mm. because I do feel, yes, that's part of it. But I also feel like there's so many children today, and I think it definitely is um, the evolution of humanity. Mm -hmm. But and they need our help. Um, yeah, they need our help. And, and that's why I really wanted to, to write this book to shine a light on that. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's it. I mean, I wouldn't class my daughter as having development delay. She's not the best in her class. She's probably nearer mm -hmm. the bottom. But it's nothing that's so marked that would give me any cause for alarm. But at the same time, I just know there's something not quite comfy mm -hmm. with her. She's not comfy in her own skin because I think she feels different um, because she, and I think it's all to do with her feeling so much and then she worries so much because she thinks so much and it's this vicious cycle so what what practical things could you do you do to help people like my daughter and other people in that situation well what first thing is so important to realize that it's important for her to learn how to feel um, feeling that's an emotional, uh, you know, that's intelligence. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, that we really need to help our children cultivate and develop the ability to feel. And not only the, the ability to feel, but the ability to use our feelings for our guidance. And what we're usually doing. going back to what you said as a child, showing our feelings, using our feelings is not what we're encouraged to do, is it? We're, we're encouraged to right. present a smiley front and everything's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important that we allow them to have these feelings, um, let them know that these feelings are important and help them to have the feelings and then release the feelings when they need to be released. Mm -hmm. Also, we want to teach them what belongs to them and what belongs to the people around them okay. and how to hold space for the people around them without absorbing their energy or their feelings. Okay. You know, how to just be there for them mm -hmm. with their heart. Um, and and I'm, I'm actually putting together exercises and tools and programs that we can use to help teach our children how to do some of these things. Okay. Um, how, to, how to tap into their heart and how to protect their heart, but at the same time, keep the heart open to have that compassion and that empathy towards others. Could you give us one, one, one tip on that, one practical thing that the listeners could maybe take away and try? Uh, all right. Well, I did this um, I did this once before with someone else, so I guess I will share it with you as well. Um, I wasn't planning on it, but... Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. 
Um, this is just a, just something that I've been working on. And one of the things that to understand is that many kids um, or people, you know, us individuals that are sensitive, um, we're really, really good at visualization. Like we can visualize things in our mind. And so by using that gift of visualization, we can help uh, by um, creating things to visualize. So this is a visualization and this is based on something that as an audiologist, just give you a little background. Mm. Um, I started out uh, working with um, helping hearing impaired people hear better through amplification or with hearing aids. And back then in the mid eighties, um, hearing aids were um, not very sophisticated. They basically just amplified everything. Yeah. Um, and now with digital technology, we're really able to shape a hearing aid by using something called low pass filters. Mm -hmm. And low pass filters or high pass filters, basically you're allowing frequencies to pass through the filter to be amplified, but it doesn't amplify the other frequencies. Yeah. So, so what I, you know, what I envision is I help help a child envision placing a high pass filter around their heart, okay, or around their their body, um, and that is allowing high energies, energies that vibrate at high frequencies, love things like that to pass through, but no low frequency energies, okay, because they're going to get blocked by this high pass. Yeah. filter. And so that's just one, I mean, it's a, it's probably hard for a lot of people to understand, but I'm telling you, these children understand these things, yeah. like they're able to do these things. Um, and it makes a big difference. Uh, just being able to drop into your heart when you're feeling all heady, because that's what happens. You know, we learn to look at everything that's happening on the outside as our answers to our que our problems and our questions, mm -hmm. but and that causes our mind to um, to get a little chaotic at times, yeah. and that's where the stress and the anxiety comes from. Yeah. So being able to drop into the heart and feel that in the heart, and then allow the energy from the heart or allow the, those feelings from the heart to come up and um, soothe the mind. Yeah. It's one of the tools that. Yeah, and, and you do that through a vis visualization process to, mm -hmm. to help that, facilitate that, and practice it, I suppose, because it's something that you probably have to practice to get good at, like everything. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and then remember that you have the choice to do that at any moment. Yeah. Yeah, and one other emotion that I've, I've spoken about with someone else that I've interviewed recently is sadness. And, and the feeling of sadness. And it's always something, again, using my daughter as an example, I'm guilty of. She'll come to me and say, oh, I feel sad. And I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What's what's making you sad? I don't know. Like, well, there must be something. I'm like, no, no, I just feel sad. And I find myself, I get frustrated with that because I'm like, how can you be sad? You're, you're 10, mm -hmm. you've got a lovely home, a nice family, life's good. What, what's to be sad about? And this person that I was talking about was saying that it's sadness is one of those emotions that isn't very well accepted in our society and we try and push it out instead of just sometimes accepting we feel sad. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's important to, to go at, to, to feel the sadness. And yes, we want to teach them to feel the sadness, but then to release it. Yeah. And you can also um, change. I remember talking to a mom, uh, her son, I think it was about two, he was two years old. And she said that he would, he just would feel sadness all the time. Like he would just come to his mom and say, mommy, I'm just so sad. And so she would try to make him feel feelings of happiness. Yeah. And what I told her is, first of all, it's very hard to do that because you can't go from sad to happy without maybe doing the steps in between. Yeah. So sometimes it's important to recognize that the next step from sadness might just be um, feelings of hopefulness. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, working your way up to joy and, and such. But you know, just to try to go from here to here is very hard. And you're absolutely right, because that's what we want to do for them. Yeah. But if we recognize that it's okay to feel sadness, because that's 
that's what we're here for. We're here for the experience of feeling these different emotions, but not holding on to the emotions. Yeah. And then the other thing too is that, um, you know, if she's feeling sadness, it might not it might be that she's feeling sadness from the world. Yeah. From things that are happening all around, not just from her own sadness. And she may not understand that, or she might be thinking that, but think, boy, if I said that, mom would really think I'm crazy. So I'm not going to say that, you know. So making sure that there's a, a safe space yeah. where she always feels safe, no matter what she says, no matter what she's feeling, yeah. that it's okay. And as you create that space and she gets, she starts to really feel that safety, mm-hmm. then I think you'll start to um, be able to, she'll, you know, you'll, you'll see that she's, she starts to talk more about it, that she feels, you know, she's not as vulnerable because right now she's taking in information around from everything around her, from society, um, that it's not safe to talk about these things, that I shouldn't feel sad, that sad's yeah. not good. Yeah, and I think I think it's also then as as a parent or a professional, um, removing your own emotion from the situation must is what I find very hard because all you want for your children is is happiness and and joy, and when you're faced with the opposite, it's crushing, and 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 therefore that has an impact on how you deal with them as well. So it's that whole vicious cycle of of being the adult and con- controlling your emotion to some extent so that you can help them. Um, without making them feel guilty for making you sad you know what I mean it's it's a bit of a vicious a vicious circle Um, yeah that's why in my program that I'm putting together right now I'm actually putting together um, exercises and parts that are for adults Mm -hmm. Um, and then they're different because with adults it's a lot of reprogramming yes a lot of you know trying to change our self-limiting beliefs, trying to you know change the beliefs that we've been programmed to believe in from society um, and from you know our own parents and and our own experiences. And then um, you know changing those those beliefs and those patterns where with children, um, you know it's so much easier because we can help them right from the start which is why I'm so motivated to get these messages out there. But I think it is also very important, as you said, for parents um, and for adults to understand these processes and and the ability that we have to Mm -hmm. make changes. Because we know with neurobrain plasticity, we can change the way the brain processes information, but we can also change the way we believe and think about things. So, um, yes, it's harder for us because we've had these programs for such a long time running in our minds. Um, but it's important to be open to understanding it so that we can then help our children so um, they can program right from the start. There's more loving, the loving energies. And that, those are the gifts I talk about in the book is, is the gifts of the heart. Yes. Throughout May, we are offering three amazing bundles for just £14.95 or one credit. Remember, if you spend a credit, you get free postage. Each bundle contains a Chewy Gem necklace, bangle, pin badge and keyring. And if you're a VIC, it's even better because you get one bundle completely free. For more information, visit our website, www.chewygem.co.uk. And if you'd like more information on becoming a VIC, please contact us via Facebook Messenger. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, so tell me more about that. What do you mean by the gifts of the heart? So the gift of compassion, empathy, um, the gift of intuition, um, of, you know, the inner knowing, mm-hmm. uh, um, creativity, imagination. Uh, these are beautiful gifts that we don't really recognize in our educational system. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing I, I want to mention too is that you know, within our educational system, we've set up um, really. I mean, I don't know if it's different, you know, for you as it is for you know here, but um, our school systems are really set up with the paradigm of competition. Uh, okay. Our whole society is based on competition. Yeah. 
and even parenting. In fact, I have a section in my book that says, when did parenting become a competitive sport? Yeah, but it is. You know, because we're always comparing and wanting our children to be better than other children. And, and children, you know, they grow up with this idea that they need to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, our schools, you know, the administration has to has to um, compete with other school districts. Mm-hmm. And then the, the teachers are taught to compete with each other for their jobs. Mm-hmm. And then we trickle that down to the students where they're taught to compete with each other, to be smarter um, than the other children so that they can get into the better schools and better colleges and, and make more money. You know, it's all about competition, competition, competition. These beautiful, sensitive children don't do well in competition. They do much better in environments of cooperation. Yeah. And I mean, we probably all would would do better in cooperation, but these kids, especially when they're extra sensitive, don't handle competition very well. Yeah. So I think it's really important to, you know, try to help them understand that. Also to help them uh, see differences, see the diversity, talk it out, um, have um, talk about, you know, if there's a problem talk about all the different solutions that can be for that problem. You know, not just one solution, but we have lots of different solutions. And then we can even put, you know, a child that's sensitive can easily, almost too easily, but you want to teach them, you know, uh, that it's okay to feel what someone else is feeling, to understand why someone else might have done something, Mm -hmm. but then understand it but then come back to who they are to understand that it's it's okay, that they didn't do what they did to hurt you. They did what they did because of what's going on in their mind and with what is going on in their environment. So helping them to understand their own and their own awesomeness, their own strength, their own power. And that's what we can do um, if we start, you know, right from from the start. Self-love is the most powerful you know, emo- the most powerful thing you can teach a child. Yeah. If you can teach them self-love, then there's nothing they can't handle. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Although self-love seen as a bad thing. You, you know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I mean, I know exactly what you're saying, but the, the, the mm-hmm. it's like going back to what I said about sadness is, is not acceptable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all of, all of these things are yet to be accepted, that it's okay to be it's it was certainly in, in our, our culture in, in the UK, it's a very kind of British thing and Scottish thing to be down on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, not it's it's not seen as a good thing to be like, hey, I'm great. I'm an awesome person. That's not seen as a as a good way to behave. But it's it's so healthy to get mm-hmm. to that point where you do accept yourself for who you are and know that overall you're a good person and all the rest of it. But very few people would talk in that way. Is, is right. it different where you are? No, I mean, it's very similar. Okay. I, it might be a little more where you are, but, but it's very similar. Um, but I think that's where we're going with humanity. Yeah. I think that's where we're moving towards, and that's why these so. children are here. Yeah. yeah, and these children are here. I mean, I used the um, analogy in my book about popcorn popping. Yeah. You know, when you first start popping popcorn, there's a few kernels that to pop, and those kernels are the highly sensitive people that have been popping um, the geniuses like Einstein and you know that have been popping for for centuries Mm -hmm. but it was only a few and as time goes on more and more the kernels are popping and by the time you get to a certain point they're all popping yeah and that's where we're going but right now I feel like a lot of these kids are popping and they're coming in with these beautiful, beautiful sensitivities, but we're still putting them in the old environment that's not conducive. And um, if I can, I don't know if I have much time, but I was gonna just share one other thing yeah. with you about I wrote the book. Um, you know, I had mentioned before that I had put the book aside for a few years yes. because of some things that were going on in the family. And this past year is almost a year now. Um, it was last uh, February 2018 when um, I had to take my mom to uh, get a CAT scan done. And we happened to be across the street. You know, I live in South Florida. We were across the street from the Parkland shooting that was here oh, yeah. last Valentine's Day. And we happened to be across the street at the time. 
And the aftermath, I mean, my mom ended up passing away seven days later. We didn't even know she was sick. It was just something that was really bizarre, just came out of nowhere. Um, but so that la that week following, you know, the shooting, following, um, you know, was taking care of my mom. As I said, she passed. But it was right after that that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I had to write this book because I had – um, when I first started thinking about this book, I knew that I was going to write about why does a child feel so desperate and so much pain that they feel like they have no other choice but to walk into a school with a gun. And it's happening so much. Mm. It's, it's crazy. And what's happening that's causing that? And so I always knew I was going to write about it. So when I happened to be there across the street at the time, it was just this light going off that said to me, it's time for you to finish this book. And so that's one of the things that I write about is when does a sensitive child feel so much pain and so much trauma that they feel as if they have no other choice but to walk into a school carrying a gun. And that was something that I wanted to make sure, um, you know, that was addressed and, and, you know, when that happened, everybody's always searching for, and this is what we do as a society. We mm -hmm. search for answers to all of our problems by the external. We're always looking for an outside reason. Yeah. You know, but it goes beyond that. Mm -hmm. There's something going on in here, in, our, in the hearts of these kids. Kids that are extra sensitive feel things so much deeper than yeah. ever before. And when you put in shame and guilt and you don't teach a child how to deal with those feelings mm -hmm. and they're just going to shut the feelings down in order just to survive because mm -hmm. they can't feel those feelings at their level at that depth of a level mm -hmm. they have to just shut it down in order to survive and that's when a child a sensitive child becomes a narcissist mm -hmm. yeah so what's what's the solution? I mean, obviously you're fighting for for this. You're you're campaigning effectively and trying to educate the world on how important it is to recognise the sensitive child and help them and support them so that they can function in life and enjoy their gifts. Um, how how do we get that out there so that this has a real impact worldwide and changes the world? How do we do that? Well, we're talking about it. Yeah. You know, that's that's step one, right? We're yeah. talking about it. Hopefully start making some paradigm shifts. You yeah. know, um, that's what happens in evolution. We just start shifting the way we think. It doesn't always go from here to here. Yeah. It has to work its way. Um, getting more and more people to understand and look at things differently mm -hmm. and to look at our children differently and and to honor um Honor the path that each of us are on yeah. and understand, you know, the, the quote that, um, you know, don't judge someone um, until you've walked in their shoes. You know, we're all on a path. We all have our own experiences. And these experiences put a filter in front of us that is the way we see things. Yeah. And it's our belief system that filters everything we see, everything we experience. And it comes from our past experiences. So when we can start changing that filter and changing the way we look at things yeah. and helping our children, learning from our children, because, you know, we think as parents that our children are here to learn from us. But what if we're supposed to be learning from them? Mm. You know, nothing, nothing really um, has as much of an emotional impact as being a parent, you know, when something is happening to your child, you rather, if it's something bad, you want it to happen to yourself. I mean, you would rather have those feelings than your child to have to go through it. You would put yourself in front of anything to protect your child. And so nothing stirs up emotions more than parenting. Yes. And so, you know, these kids coming in like this, you know, it's not an accident. It's no. here to stir things up because if you're comfortable you're not going to change. Yeah. Change doesn't come from being comfortable. Yeah. Change comes from chaos. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, makes an awful lot of sense. The, there was a saying someone once said to me um, about parenting, which is, you're only ever as happy as your unhappiest child. Have you heard that one before? I haven't, but... It's spot on. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that's, that's you, you feel, yeah, wherever they are is how you feel. That's certainly the way that it affects me. And you're right, you just, you just, everything is driven by them. And I also think that it is the biggest thing the biggest exactly what you said about our children here to teach us god the amount i've learned in 10 years and the amount i've changed in 10 years is is incredible um yeah 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 my my daughter's going to be 24 next month and i bet you're still learning oh absolutely (laughs) (laughs) absolutely great well any final parting message before we wrap up that you want to say to everyone uh well, I, I think just, you know, I've pretty much said it all, but that, um, you know, there's so much beauty uh, inside of us and that um, looking at, um, you know, as I was saying before, we're, we're, we're trained and programmed to look outside for the answers. But each one of us um, holds this beautiful gift inside where we have all the answers. Um, it's just learning how to tap into that and helping our children know, um, just helping our children know how awesome they are. I mean, that's the main, that's my main purpose. Yeah. I want to help people see that, you know, help help parents um, yeah, teach so their children how awesome they are. Yeah, and it's exactly what you said, that if, if they can get to that, if they can have that self-love and acceptance of who they are, then anything is possible for them. Yeah. They can survive anything, which is brilliant. Well, thank anything. you very, very much, Shelley. So if, if you want to look Shelley up, then you'll get her on. Website is meetshelley.com, and it's Shelley with an E-Y at the end. Um, you're also on Facebook, um, forward slash Meet Shelley, and Twitter, Meet Shelley, and LinkedIn, Meet Shelley. It's basically Meet Shelley on Instagram and everywhere. So um, you'll get all the links from her website anyway. Um, and the book, just to remind you, which is well worth going and buying, is No Child Left Unwrapped understanding and honoring the gifts every child is born with so i cannot thank you enough it's been wonderful having um 50 odd minutes to chat to you it's been a real pleasure i've got a lot from it so thank oh, you very thank much. you jenny thank yeah you. i've enjoyed the conversation thank you so much thank you well that's it for this week and thank you once again for listening we really do appreciate it if you've got time and you can spare 30 seconds then go and give us a five star review on itunes it really helps other people find our content and we know that our content and our episodes are so helpful to our community with lots of hints and tips and interesting interviews so go and do your kind deed of the day and leave us a five star review on itunes to help others find us also so that you never miss an episode and you get a notification when a new one is available why not hit subscribe and that way you'll never miss us finally if you're not already a member of our fantastic facebook support group i suggest you go join it we'd love to see you in there there's loads of fantastic chat lots of peer-to-peer support from people in the same boat as you so go and search on facebook for the chewy gem sensory support group and let us know what you're thinking of our episodes speak to you then bye